Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Grow Your Path to Wellness. We host a new episode every week and typically post on Sundays. So be sure to uh, like and follow to be sure to see the next episode and the latest episodes. Last week, we had the opportunity to... well, oh, sorry, last week we actually had to reschedule. We had a, a scheduling conflict uh, miscommunication, but um, so we didn't host any last week. The last episode you'll see is from Miranda Campbell talking about boundaries and intimate partner relationships. So make sure you go back and listen to that one. This week I am hosting solo. As uh, many of you have heard, if you're familiar with our podcast, Kelsey lives in the beautiful Southern Ohio area with all sorts of uh, nature and trees, but doesn't always have access to Wi-Fi when there's a winter storm. So she will be hopefully back with us next week to co-host. This week we welcome Dr. Susan. Uh, she is going to be coming talking to us about being a carrier of the trauma virus. Um, and I put in quotes, the trauma virus, not the whole title. Uh, are you a carrier of the trauma virus? So we're very excited to welcome her on our podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank uh, you, man. Such a pleasure to be here. And sorry to miss Kelsey, actually. So, uh, mm-hmm. and all of you uh, fellow Ohioans who are stuck in this, I didn't, I don't, I'm in on the East Coast, so we have our own storms, but uh, nothing like I, what I hear what in Ohio. I look forward to going there someday in the snow and really getting to know your, your, your country, part of the country. Yeah. So th- thank you for having me. Um, I wanted to mention that I kind of came to trauma sideways in a way because my original field is actually I'm, I'm a internet I do international development work which is you know economic development poverty alleviation and that sort of thing and so um, I came to the topic because I I had little kids you know when I was doing my doctoral dissertation um, and uh, decided to work closer to home I didn't want to be traveling so much to write my PhD thesis mm-hmm. and I looked at Native American tribes American, Native American communities in the U.S. And, and Canada and was looking at why certain communities were on the reservations and reserves were stuck in cycles of poverty and mm-hmm. um, in some way, in some cases, violence and addictions and that sort of thing. And as I looked at those issues, I got really interested and really realized they, they told me in, in their own words that they were being affected by historical traumas that were continuing to reverberate in their communities and so I wrote a whole doctoral dissertation for economists on the importance of looking at trauma and the impact it had on poverty and the, and the um, uh, basically intergenerational poverty and violence and mm-hmm. how we, you know, we couldn't just go in. We needed to go in and pour money into building schools and buildings and roads and all the good stuff, building infrastructure, but also we need to support people to heal and that that yes. was an essential piece that they both needed to go together. So there's actually a, um, a Harvard Magazine article. If you uh, Google my name, it's Susanne Abadian um, and, and Harvard Magazine, you'll get this article that describes some of that work that I did early on did I, that I did that might be interesting to some of your folks. And I think it was in 2008 that it came out. It's been a while. Okay. Um, I've, I've been in this business a while. So that's how I started to come to the whole trauma field. And then this was in the 1990s. And so even though I was trained in economics and government and anthropology, my original master's degree was in anthropology, cultural anthropology. Um, I became uh, known, have become known for my work in collective trauma and the healing of collective trauma. So that's also trauma that happens to 
large groups of people over periods of time and the damage to cultures, actually, that takes place as well. Wow. So that's how I came to this topic. What a beautiful <laughs> profession. It's I'm a clinical social worker. So, um, you know, our routes that we can go to in our master's program are like micro and macro. And as you're talking, I'm like, that's like big scale macro. That's a big change <laughs> that we try to instill and work on. So yeah. I am so appreciative that you described that because I didn't realize there was people like you out there doing that kind of work um, to make the big systemic change that we need. So much appreciated. Well, you're so you're so sweet. And it it's so, you know, once you see the effects of trauma, like you can't unsee it again, right? This is the, this is the thing. And I became this kind of... Uh, um, I don't know what to call myself. I, I was just so passionate about it and then realized I was hitting the wall because people weren't interested, really. I mean, I saw it everywhere. I saw the damage. You know, I saw what, what was going on and people were not interested. In fact, it's taken the pandemic. It's taken decades. I, it's really horrible to say, but it's I mean, I try to bring it to the attention of various people. Anyway, I won't bore you with the details, but uh, the pandemic seemed to. Uh, wake people up to the uh, trauma again and the mm -hmm. effect of trauma. And of yeah. course, the micro, you know, macro cannot be solved without looking at the micro, obviously, right? You know, collective trauma and the healing of collective trauma, it requires working on the micro level, human beings. So, you know, it's all, you can't heal the collective unless you heal individual trauma. But the thing about the collective is it's also damage to the culture. So it's at the level of, you know, I wrote, I'm very interested right now on in how trauma is replicated in our narratives and, you know, narratives that are in our religions, narratives that are in how we tell our histories, narratives, you know, and it replicates trauma. And I've written a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm very fascinated by, by uh, toxic post-traumatic narratives is what I call it. And uh, anyway, so there's a lot. Like addicted to the, to your own story. Absolutely. That's yeah. part of it. Yeah. yeah. You know this. I, I can And tell then it's also in our DNA, you know, also yeah, you DNA know, too. You know, we we become really enamored by this whole thing of the, um, you know, the the damage, and it is true. But I also believe we can change our DNA. Like if the, our DNA changed once through yep. trauma, we can change it back and Absolutely. and change it better. So I'm not, I don't want us to get, in, you know, even enamored by oh my god, we've got physiological physiological changes. It's like okay, um, we can change it back. We've changed it once. We could change it again. So yeah. I, I mean, I. I think reading your, looking at your website, um, that you teach about the power that we are, you know, that, mm. that trauma affects us, um, you know, obviously in, in horrible ways, sometimes we have bad habits. I mean, some of this is habitual, right? We were raised in families that had, you know, so there's certain ways of behaving that we've got to unlearn, ways of thinking we have to unlearn, but also our stories, as you said, the addiction to our own stories that we've got to, mm -hmm. you know, give up and our attachment yeah. to, it's really our identity, like give up our attachment to, to certain victim, victim ideologies that we have. I mean, I, I've had to do work on, I'm, I'm speaking from my own experience with myself. And yeah. You know, I mean, I am, once I, once I started working in trauma, unfortunately, I, or fortunately, I got to see how much of history, my own history was, was, you know, it's never an accident, right? You go into this business and, you come on this trauma stuff in part, do you think you're working on it outside yourself? And then you realize, wait a second, this is in my own families and myself, in my history. And so a lot of it became my own. And also 
I was married to someone who was Jewish and his history, you know, his Holocaust history. And, and mm -hmm. I, was, I had young kids and this determination, I was not going to let it go one more generation to the best of my abilities. Of course, you know, each generation has its own burden to carry. But yes. I just had a baby recently. Uh, he's five months old. It's our first. Congratulations. And <laughs> Thank you. That's so and exciting. I was very very intent on breaking generational bonds and all all sorts of change oh, things right and you know it it's so it's just like when i do therapy right i can preach it all day doing it in real life <laughs> really practice individually on my own is rough it is tough work for anyone it to is. break those bonds yeah but you're doing it so we don't give don't be i hope you're not being hard on yourself i mean the fact that you're even thinking about it is amazing right absolutely as, I mean, as hard as a new mom can be on themselves, right? <laughs> that was, so listen, if I may, forgive me if I may, because I wish someone had just been, sat me down when I was a mother, really young, a mother of young kids, and um, just told me to enjoy it more instead of like, because I tried so hard to undo what I thought was done to me and like make sure things didn't go down and blah, blah, blah. You know, and my kids are amazing. I mean, my, I have amazing young people as kids and um, I'm proud of them and they've turned out beautifully. But, you know, like I don't, I would just would want for you what I would have wanted for myself, which is just to enjoy it more and to know it's going to work out. You, you're already great. The kids are going to be fine. You know, you're thinking about it. It's going to, and they're so resilient. And what you don't mm -hmm. figure now, you'll figure out five years from now, 10 years, you know, there's always time. So <clears throat> yeah. just enjoy, enjoy the miracle. Me, I think it took me four months to really get, and there was other factors involved in that, right? Like postpartum and hormones and all sorts yes. of things, right? Oh my gosh. But it took me <clears throat> probably four months to realize people started to say to me and I really started to believe it. The days are long, the years are short. And I would just see him hitting all these developmental milestones oh, and all amazing. this stuff flying. And I was like, I got to cuddle him a little bit longer. I'm going to hold him. Oh, good. I'm going to, right? Like, just <laughs> get out of your head in the moment, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're so adorable. What an age. I mean, that first year is such a miracle, the changes. I know you're sleepless and all that stuff, but it's, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's curiosity is probably the most, beautiful thing, right? Watching them explore and understand the world is really cool. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so tell me about, so in our title, it's, are you uh, transmitting the trauma or are you a carrier of the trauma virus? Explain this to me. How do, how do you, did you coin this term? What is this? Yes. You know, and I, I, well, I coined it with the people who publicizing the work I'm doing. I mean, on one level, I, it makes me nervous to say such a thing, but you know, it's sort of uh, the pandemic was happening and it's a wonderful way to catch attention. And it is viral in a way. I mean, mm -hmm. basically how we treat other people, um, you know, in our family systems, if your parents have had trauma, um, it's not necessarily the case, but it's likely if they've had, a, especially if they have childhood trauma that's been extensive, it mm -hmm. could be that they're carrying behavior patterns is how I like to say, and ways of thinking that are trauma-based. Um, there's a wonderful, very simple book uh, on codependency that's, that's, that's kind of a classic by Pia Melody uh, on codependency. And I'm trying to remember what the exact title is. Um, I don't have it on, on, off my, uh, but if you look up Pia Melody uh, on codependency, she, and there are like five areas that she describes 
um, on behavior patterns that are, uh, you know, examples of how we're distorted. Life can become distorted. Ways of thinking, ways of behaving can become distorted through trauma, childhood trauma. And I think those are, you know, we carry those because we then think those are, no, we, we normalize them like that's the way it is. And then we treat our kids that way again. So that's how we transmit some of these behavior patterns and ways of thinking. Um, through the generations. I mean, that's a very simple, simplified way of saying it, but that's really, it's that simple, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that makes it's, sense. It's socialization. So, I mean, you know this better than I, but the first years of a child's life are critical. They're almost like they're in a hypnotic state. They're picking up um, not only what we say, but how we behave. And they think this is normal. Mm -hmm. Whatever we do, if we beat them, they think they deserved it. You know, they don't say mom's off the rocker or she's, you know, she's drunk or whatever. They think they deserved it. And then they grow up thinking they don't deserve love. They don't, des they deserve to be hit. I mean, all those basic things, those, those, that's a virus. That's a virus of a, a way of thinking and a way of behaving. And so then they go treat other people. Then, you know, so it gets transmitted. So in that way, it's kind of, vi it is viral. Yeah, um, that development, developmental and uh, Kelsey is going to be so when she listens, she's going to be so sad she's missing out on this because well, she specializes in she, <laughs> <laughs> she specializes in developmental and attachment trauma. Um, oh. We all work with those things. But and then the other thing that so the couple things came to mind is how many clients I talk to could be the worst of the worst of the worst. And I don't want to compare traumas, but the most severe of severe traumas to, you know, one situational trauma. And they don't believe that it's a trauma until they get outside of that environment, right? So like you said, until I'm old enough and allowed to go to a friend's house down the street and I realize that they don't have to do this a certain way or their mom doesn't scream at them every time they do something this wrong yeah. or they have food in the cabinet, like all these things, you don't know what you don't know until you leave that environment and see it. Exactly. Your mom is your mom. Your mom is your mom. Your dad is your dad. Regardless, and you, and right? you love them and yep. you're, you're loyal, right? I mean, yep. you've been, you know, so it's, it's so, it, there's a, a program, um, again, Pia Melody used to be running it. I don't know, they're not doing this anymore, but it was called Survivors. Mm -hmm. And you went for a week, basically, to this program. And they gave you a couple sheets of paper in the beginning. And you're supposed to list um, the kinds of traumas you went through from zero to eight years. Basically, you survived childhood is what they want to say, zero to eight, 18 it says a list what happened to you, when, you know, what age you were, what kind of trauma it was and who did it and all this stuff and your, how you feel about it. Um, people go to this thing, they get a couple pages and they go, I don't have anything. I mean, how am I going to fill a couple pages? And invariably, I mean, the first day or two of this program, uh, people are told, their, their various kinds of traumas are described to them, like what's emotional abuse, what's physical abuse, what's sexual and it's like all of a sudden you can see their faces change. Like they be like, oh my God, you mean this isn't normal? And and the effects the trauma has on people. And they go, oh my God, that's, I am like that. This is why I feel the way I do. And this is why I have these addictions. And this is, you know, like, and then they come back, they want more pages. You know? <laughs> they sort of like, you know, so you give them a couple pages at first and then like the 20 pages later, like, you know, and you don't want people to be stuck in this stuff, but the only way to break the, the virus like the pattern is to become aware, right? And so 
it's just people ask you know, so, all the time what is your approach to therapy what what uh you know approaches do you use what theoretical background do you come up from and one of the biggest things is psychoeducation it's it so is. simple but even with like if you compare this to covid and coronavirus so many wild things happen because misinformation it is right? exactly right if you have exactly the information right. then you have the power to do something with it and it's so like you said it's like a light bulb it's like an aha it's a validation <laughs> A normalization. Yes. Yes. The other thing that came to mind when you were talking was the meaning you derive from the trauma, which um, I'm a big lover of Gabor Mate. Um, yes. I, I just want to meet him in person one day, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's like, as you were talking, I was like imagining one of his uh, trainings or speeches or whatever it was on how, okay, so now my mom hit me and now I've developed a sense of lack of self-worth from that. I, I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve yes. to thing yeah yeah all that stuff exactly what is the meaning victor frankel was a, a really amazing uh, guy who talked about that trauma is trauma because of the meaning that we we take you know it's not a particular event that happened but it's what the meaning that we give the event right um to some extent anyway but um yes it is very and children have a have a young children have a uh kind of a, a typical way in which they interpret things as I mm -hmm. said, like ch really young children don't blame their parents. They almost always say they must be, there must be something wrong with them if their caregiver giver abused them. So it's so natural that we would pick up this idea that we're not worthy, we're not worth, you know, so you've got the education that has to take place, right, to break the cycle. And then you've got the mourning that has to take place, the grief, the anger, all those emotions that, you know, in the shamanic world, I've, 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 I've sort of integrated various different practices over time. There's a, something called soul retrieval. And it's parts of us, this idea that parts of us, when we've been traumatized, break off. And, you know, it's obvious because we have um, multiple personality disorders. But in the shamanic world, there are actually parts of us that are soul that are that take off because they can't handle the pain. Right. And part of what happens when you go through these memories and remember what happened to you and really own the pain and the suffering is those parts start to come back. You welcome those parts back to integrate, but they have emotions, right? Mm -hmm. They have anger, they have sadness, yeah. they have fear. And you've got to process all that stuff. Now you don't have to take your whole life to process it. You want to have a discreet amount of time that you, and who knows what that'll be, but you know, hopefully mm -hmm. it won't be forever, but you process and you sit with those young parts of yourselves and you welcome them back in and you love them. And you give them what they never got. And that's where, you know, therapeutic help is where it's really about holding, you know, helping the, the, the person um, give to themselves what they weren't, weren't given that they need, right? Teaching them to how to parent themselves. So they integrate these parts back. And then over time, you, you know, now here's, here's the tricky part of trauma, right? Part of the tricky part of trauma is we can get uh, almost transfixed by it you know it become it, be, it can become it's so strong it could become your one's identity so at some point one has to choose you know and remember i am not my traumas mm -hmm. i am not the child that was abused i'm not the sec i'm not the victim of sexual assault that's not all of who i am it's not, in fact it may not it's not even the, it made me wise it's made me wise and it's now i'm integrated back in but I choose to be, who do I want to be? And then it's self-creation, self -creation, which is a response. Yeah. 
And I love that you brought up the grieving process because it's not, we've mentioned it in a few, it's just naturally come up in a few episodes and it's in everything. No matter what decision you make, there's going to be, or, or no matter what happens to you or changes are made, there's going to be some sort of loss grieving that you have Absolutely. to go through. Right. And that's Absolutely. so crucial. I love that you brought up um, the, the soul retrieval. And it just connected in my brain to so many, like I do inner child work, but then there's also internal family systems with parts work and just so many different things. It's all about reintegrating And they're all wonderful. That. Yeah. They're all wonderful. I've done, I do all the, I mean, they're all really valuable and called different things and it's great, but all these pieces that we've cut off, you know? Yeah. yeah. And like you said, it, it becomes, and I know we mentioned before about the, the biological impact, but just one of the major things I do is, is educate people on the stress response and your, in the survival part of your brain, right? Absolutely. Like that, that's somewhere else that is really true. And it's not something that you hold on to, to hold on to the story, but to understand what's happening is that, yeah, you're in a survival response. That makes sense. Like if you didn't do what you, if you didn't compartmentalize, if you didn't dissociate, if you, you know, you didn't exactly learn to be reactive, your brain said, we're going to die. Right. And so that's what it continues to hold on to and says, no, I can't go back to that memory or I'll die. I have to stick to this story or I won't make it right. Like, and your brain is stuck in this. Yes. This is the only way I can survive, but that's not reality. It's just the primal part of your brain telling you that. Exactly. Are they lucky to have you? Amanda, it's, it's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be that way. It changes. Like you said, it changes. It alters our yeah. physiology, but it doesn't have to remain that way. Yes. Um, I, I didn't realize you were talking about it in that way. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I work on myself physiologically all the time, you know, in terms of calming myself down, the whole polyvagal thing, you know, just the various exercises to, to feel the safety in my own body. Mm -hmm. um, even if, you know, the outside world may feel unsafe, things may feel unsafe, you, you know, the, the learning is to remember, have a felt sense of safety within one's own system. So whatever else happen is happening doesn't seem so dangerous. I think it's really, uh, and that's, this is all physiological. It's the, uh, stress hormones. Anyway, do you need to get that? Nope. I'm good. Sorry okay. about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. So right. you mentioned weaving, weaving is, okay. is. No, and it's a, it's a, um, it's so important. I mean, we judge ourselves often with having to cry and the tearfulness and the, you know, the vulnerabilities and, you know, it, the way I see it, we're not only grieving, we're, we're the first generation really that's able to do this. So we're not only grieving for ourselves, we're grieving for every generation that has come before us that wasn't able to feel this out. Mm -hmm. So let's give ourselves a break. We might it's be, heavy. you know, don't you yeah. think? We should give ourselves yeah. a break and, and allow ourselves to, you know, be okay. It doesn't mean we live our life in grief, but if we have to have a good cry for 15 minutes every morning for three years, that's okay. You'll feel a lot better the rest of the day, you know? It, release, it literally releases stress from your body. Like there's a certain exactly. type of tear that's specifically to release the stress from your body. It's, natural again biological exactly. but for some reason we have this social implication of it makes you weak or whatever right. the story is we tell ourselves that we just keep shaking up the pop bottle and wonder why we feel like we're going to explode or we do explode <laughs> shake up the pop bottle that's right i mean we could think of it as a form of sauna 15 minute sauna every morning we're just you know mm -hmm. releasing this stuff in in terms of tears 
out of our system. It's exactly right. And not to judge ourselves. We're carrying a lot. And oftentimes, you know, this isn't healthy. And I'm, I, I'm not suggesting this, but many of us do this because many of us are empathic. The people who probably come to you, you, I can tell you are that way. I'm that way. We pick up stuff from the people around us who are not willing to look at those things too. And, you know, so some of that's releasing for the system that we, I mean, we, you know, I hate to say that again, I don't want, I don't want us to be doing this, but we are doing this in a way. Um, so it's okay. We're not weak. Actually, we're incredibly strong and it's not a disorder. You know, so grieving is natural. It's important. We used to do it in community where people grieved together, made song, dance, swayed, moved, movement. And, you know, it was just like, you know, um, vocalizing it. I, there's lots of ways traditionally people grieve together. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's an important task. Some Absolutely. of us have to do it. We all, we all have to do it. I mean, living in a pandemic for three years, if you're not grieving, I, I don't know where you're That's, living. And it's isolated us. It's forced us. Mental health, mental illness addiction, depression, anxiety, grief, any of these things that become difficult and challenging for us thrive in isolation. Well, I mean, there's a couple that, you know, maybe thrive more in a social environment, but thrive in isolation, right? So if it wasn't already rough enough, it's it's really impacted in the pandemic. Um, Something I wanted to make sure I touched on, I know you mentioned a few different, uh, you know, cultural implications there, but what else? What else do we need to know it's Black History Month, so I feel like it's appropriate, you know, mm. to talk about that uh, intergenerational collective trauma. Um, but then any other wisdom you have on the cultural impact of trauma? I know you talked about um, the reservations and then any gender, um, sexuality, anything like that that you've done in your research or that you're aware of that we should all know about. Well, there's, oh God, there's so much to say. <laughs> uh what did you say before all this, though, that really, anyway, my, there's so many, my mind's going in 10,000 different directions at once. Um, well, you know, I, I, I've written something, uh, a, a book that I'm hoping to get published um, on a topic that is not relevant to the United States too much. It is here, but it's just as an example is female genital mutilation. Oh, <laughs> uh, I've read, a, um, not to interrupt you, but in my. Please interrupt me. I read in my women's studies, I believe, in undergrad, we read Half Half the Sky. Half the Sky. What a great book. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. They actually came and um, spoke in college and signed our books. Yeah. Oh, how fabulous. I am sadly more familiar with female genital mutilation than I would like to because that was a very descriptive, necessary book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm writing a book from... The perspective of trauma in the sense of it being a culturally sanctioned act of trauma in a way um mm-hmm. not all of, not all of the practices not but but by and large as a, as a general uh, way of looking at it and then really interested in how trauma practices get embedded in culture uh and that's an extreme way i mean it might be obvious to you and me but to people who are practicing it they don't see it that way right mm-hmm. so what are we doing that to other cultures may go, they may look at us and go, oh my God, look at what they're doing, right? So what are things we're doing? You know, again, it's like the family systems where we're in our families and we don't see anything else. We think our families are normal and perfect and nothing's wrong. And we've had ideal childhoods, except, you know, we're not too happy and we're kind of, but so within our own cultures, we also have things that are female genital mutilation like, but what are they? You know, Circumcision. I mean, 
Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, just things that I've learned in my own pregnancy and childbirth experience. I, you know, just the questions I would ask and I would say, why? And they're like, well, that's just how we do it. Or that's just protocol or that. Yeah. Does it have, does it have to be, you know, so really like taking, I think going into your own power and saying, does that align with my values and my gut? And does that make sense for my family? But then the other side of it is if you are a healthcare provider, if you are engaging with people on a daily basis providing any sort of service i'd say are you taking into account their their culture and their history and maybe that need whatever you're doing needs to be tweaked a little bit because it can be traumatic yeah i mean it's such a tricky question right because uh there are anthropologists who have supported female genital mutilation because it's their culture they would say it's their culture Mm-hmm. So where, you know, so my book disc- talks about all of that, like cultural relativism and what does it mean and what is it useful? When is it not useful? When mm-hmm. is, you know, like everything. And, and also, uh, um, you know, this question of choice, uh, that that's about gender in a sense. You know, I, I, I coined this term called um, uh, adaptive consent, that a lot of times we consent to things because we, you know, we want to be part of a community or we want to be accepted or we want to be, you know, whatever, all these, it's an adapt form of adaptation, sort of what you were saying, mm-hmm. that we've, you know, none of these things that we developed from childhood are necessarily, it's not a disorder. It's our best way of adapting to very difficult circumstances, obviously. So, so anyway, adaptive consent means we consent, it looks like we're consenting to things, um, but we're really consenting out of limitation. We don't, we don't even see there's an outside to the box that we're stuck in. So, um, and so we've got to consider all that in any case, um, with clients and stuff. I mean, yeah. Uh, so in our own culture, I mean, anything that makes us feel less than, or someone, someone is above us, this, this illusion that anyone is above and below is a lie. I mean, it's a, it's a toxic story and trauma does that trauma and intergenerational trauma and black history month, any, any system that makes one human being above another is a lie. That's so simple. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's uh, just that it, simple. Yeah, yeah, there's no, um, the power dynamics, there is no, I, and I always found this most interesting, even still just engaging with um, like medical doctors and like surgeons, there's like a certain, working in that system, there was like a certain level that you could get to and then you just didn't have access to that person anymore because they just didn't see you. Yeah. You just didn't. And and I won't say everyone. There are, you know, there are doctors and people out there that are much more personable and understanding and trauma informed. But it was like there was a culture of I made it like I, I'm a doctor, you know, yeah. so like I can't engage with the nurse or the medical assistant or the scheduler and. Um, obviously even just in being a clinical social worker, providing therapy, there's almost a white coat syndrome, even though I show up looking very personable, right? But they have, people have this conception in their mind based on what they see on TV or their engagements in the healthcare system in general. And they think that there's going to be a power differential or don't even get me started on our prison system. And Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, there's, in the professions, people are, I don't know how to say this exactly, but um, there's a lot of trauma in how people are trained. And so these, you know, these 
doctors and surgeons or whoever you're talking about, you know, they, they're just to be trained to be, do what they're doing is not an easy task, obviously, but it's also, it's so there's, there's a dehumanization that occurs. I mean, I, you know, I, I was close up with someone who was a psych, 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 uh, a psychiatrist and I got to know a little bit about how he was trained and it was brutal. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this, you know, how could he possibly have empathy or compassion, given how he was trained mm-hmm. uh, to actually almost worked it out of him uh, yeah. is how it how it seemed to me. And, and I, you know, I, I studied at Harvard. I have three graduate degrees from Harvard. People I don't try to say that up front because people get intimidated or they project all sorts of stuff in me. Um, but it was not easy. I mean, I had to really work hard to hold my humanity at sometimes. <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. you know, people are very cerebral. Um, it's a, anyway, and they're beautiful people everywhere and they're, you know, but there's, it's almost like a dysfunctional family. A lot of these institutions, people yeah. are not in touch with their emotions, their heart. Uh, so I understand that they're, they're dissociated, you know, they're almost like, and so from that dissociated place, they can't relate to someone who's dealing with emotions. Mm-hmm. It's really we're, we're threatening. I mean, I remember trying to do my doctoral work, and my some of, one of one or two of my advisors were almost like threatened by my work because I was talking about trauma. And I remember one of my advisors took me aside and said, "Some of the stuff you're writing about, I was writing about uh, alcoholism. I said that sounds like my uncle. I mean, it came close to home, right? And oh, I'm sorry, you wanted to keep that. You wanted to keep that over there, and I brought it back to you. I'm so sorry. That was my goal. Well, they, they, you know, these, we have worked so hard to be successful and professional Mm -hmm. and to get our PhD or to become a doctor and then to, to, you know, or to be a professor in that case at Harvard. I mean, and then to have this vulnerability show up in ourselves or have it shown to us is scary. You know, like, oh my God, do I know, am I really that competent? Do do I really know what I'm doing? Oh my God, I'm feeling, you know, like it's, it's not easy. So I have a lot more appreciation and understanding for it now than I did then. I was pissed off then because it was like, there was a lot of resistance to bringing this material out. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, in the end, I was highly successful. I was honored. It was really, I had a wonderful, um, my uh, senior advisor was a Marcia Sen. He won the Nobel Prize in economics and he backed me a thousand percent and you know, that was very helpful. And he was, he was, he is incredible. He's an incredible man, but you know, it it was, it's not easy. This material's not easy. And we have to have compassion for those who have a rough time around it. You know, it's it's confrontative, right? Yeah. That's so true. I appreciate you, that perspective shift. Cause yeah, you're so right, but they're not trained to be empathetic or um, compassionate. Most, most schools and um, medical schools and Things like that aren't training, you know, empathy and compassion. The, the most people probably go into those because that's their intent, right? That's yeah. their heart, that's their drive. But it's then. brutal, right? I it mean, they get taught, to see yeah. all this death and suffering. And I mean, how can they possibly, you know, it, and not, I mean, a lot of them are empathetic, but I'm just saying it, it's hard, you know. And Without that support along the way, it's all And it's are all they being supported? Academic. Yeah. They're not being supported. I mean, it's just, I don't know what support they're getting. You know, yeah. so, so anyway, just, just for us to have compassion, we're all doing the best we can with what, we're, we, have. You know, try, with yeah. what we have, trying and, you know, I mean, all of us, um, I'm sure those people are, you know, doing the best to serve the people. They, I mean, it's just, it's, it's not easy being here on planet earth and we're just finally waking up to some of this stuff. And so, 
we got to hold each other compassionately through this process is how I see it now. Yes, yes thank you. Um, not to, yeah, not to like beat them over the head. Just an example. <laughs> yeah, it's like something I've seen as a consistent theme with that's more of a systemic issue too. Um, because we need to do better in those in those programs and those absolutely and those education systems to be more trauma informed. And it's always so interesting to me every time I do like a continuing education training on like the stress response in the body or how trauma is stored in your body or like the research is there and it's been there. It's been there. Yeah. Before our modern medical system, it's been there. They've known about the stress disease connection. And I have all my theories as to why it's not incorporated more. Um, but it's just that I think that's the most frustrating part. It's like just like any other research that they're basing the practice off of that is there. But for some reason, it just we just take that out and don't include it. You know, we don't I, teach. We don't teach about it. We don't understand the value of or necessity of it. Well, and then they've got to face the fact that, my God, they're, you know, they're the way they're training their physicians or whatever, they is incredibly stressful. Yeah. You know, like, you know, they're and traumatic sometimes. I mean, it's hard. Yeah. So if they teach about stress, I mean, it, it would be, I mean, they are introducing mindfulness practices and things like that. So there's, there are doctors in, um, that are doing amazing work in that field and are in, introduced. So it's happening, but it's, it's not happening fast enough for us, but. Yeah. yeah, evolution takes time, it seems. Mm -hmm. Well, I know we had a few things we didn't touch on, um, but we're running short on time here. So is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to make sure you shared today? Um, and then we always ask like last minute words of wisdom, mantras, or even just a free resource that you want to give our audience today. Oh my gosh, I, I wish I'd been better prepared for um, mantras or resources. I, I uh, I have an inner child, um, PDF that I can offer for that's free, um, that I, I think it's on my website. Um, so that's available. Okay. Great. Um, yeah. If you yeah. just get it to me, I can link it in the show notes for them. Beautiful. I can do that. Absolutely. Um, and, um, last thoughts. I just, you know, my whole passion right now is to support people to know themselves uh, not as victims, but as creators, creator beings. So um, that is what, you know, I, my, I want to support people not to get stuck in the victim piece. And believe me, there's some days I got to work on myself to move myself out of victim. So it's, it's not like it ever ends necessarily, but, but to really remember who we are, who mm -hmm. we really are. And uh, that's, uh, and we're creators, we're creator beings, and we're here to to create beautiful lives. I mean, this is the, this is our, um, to bring heaven to earth. I mean, really, that's how I see it. Uh, and it's all in the, it starts with the internal state. So that's, um, that's what I know you're working on. That's what I'm working on with people. And, uh, and healing trauma is a step in that direction, but it's not the be all end all of everything. Yeah. Yeah. We're <laughs> not, I think we get so dissociated isn't the right word. We just get so disconnected and we always live like Sorry, I'm a very visual person, so to me this makes That's sense. Okay. We're always living out here. For those of you just listening, I'm just kind of waving my hand out in front of me. <laughs> We're always living here, and it's like this disconnect from who we truly are. We're like floating away from ourselves and living this. And our and our dreams, yeah, our dreams and passions. I mean, really, yeah. like, what did you? What brings you alive? 
Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and the problem with trauma, sometimes it interferes with that. So that's why we got to address it. But really, what what makes you come alive? And that's the question. And uh, so and the responsibility. struggle with that, too. Right? Yes. We've been disconnected yeah. from ourselves. We've been told who we are by others for so long and ourselves after we've developed meaning from those things that happened to us that we don't know who we are. And I think that's some of the most challenging work for myself personally, for my clients. Like you've been functioning a certain way for so long to really stop and step in and say, what do I want? What do I need? Who am I? What do I value? Yeah. Not, I don't know. So that's the beautiful what I work thing. On people with you it. get to figure that I out, right? Building. Well, uh-huh. yes. And then you, you know, so I start with what's your dream? What's your passion? And then what's in the way of that? Mm-hmm. So that's what, what I like to do now. Beautiful. Oh, thank you so much for being here. And yes, please come back. Do you have an anticipated date on your book? Because maybe we could bring you back then. Absolutely. I, I also want to mention, I forgot to mention yeah. that might be of interest to you and other people, is that I've been asked to teach something, um, a, a course um, beginning in May for about seven modules to an organization called Confer in, in, in London. And it's called An Introduction to the Sacred. And it's actually for therapists and psychoanalysts, but it's for anyone in the healing or anyone who's interested. But it's really about finding nourishment beyond the psychological framework. So if anyone might be interested, I could also give that link to you once it comes out and you could post that. So that's another whole world that I also delve in. I would love that. And and I'm working with a a shaman um, therapist who's also a druid therapist. who's who's practices shamanic um, practices from Scotland so he's he's in Scotland I'm here and we're going to do this course for psychotherapists and anyone who's interested in healing that is amazing I always love hearing of new resources and courses like that you know where it's so it integrates all the different aspects of who we are with the spirituality component because I think people forget there's actually research to show how crucial some connection to spirituality is to healing. Um, there's a lot of research in addiction recovery specifically, but if you don't have that, it could be the tree outside. If you don't have some connection exactly. to exactly a higher power, the universe, yeah. whatever that is for you to be able to get I, the way I explain it to my clients, because a lot of times they get stuck in um, religion mindset, like they have to pick a religion and or otherwise they just say they're not interested or they don't have a spirituality or anything like that i say what when you're having your toughest times your darkest moments your most uh highest crises or highest anxiety what is something you could say to yourself or perspective to give you perspective in the universe perspective in the world you're living in about you know this one thing is happening and yet all of this is around me still what guides you what gives you perspective yes Yes, absolutely. And, and the, you know, what I was approached for this in part because they realized that their, their therapists and psychoanalysts who are working with other people, the caregivers, weren't finding enough nourishment for themselves mm-hmm. and that this is a place they could get nourished. And part of the course is about them really experiencing, all of us experiencing how much more loved we are than we could ever imagine. And so this is, this is what I want your listeners to be focused on is really that knowing of their, that they are adored and cherished um, in ways they can't even imagine. Beautiful. What a beautiful way to end. 
Thank you so much for that resource. We will make sure we uh, link that and a couple of the other things you mentioned. Um, I want to link that codependency book, so I'll try to find I'll, it. Or, or I can, I can that give link. that. I will definitely give that to you. And I have a website also, www.susanabadian.com, S-O-U-S-A-N-A-B-A-D-I-A-N.com. So I have a website as well, if anyone wants to join the community that I have as well. I would love that. All right. I will add that into the show notes. And yes, please, anytime you want to come back, if it's um, to launch something and you want to share that with our, our listeners or, you know, if it's when your book comes out or just any other time you want to return and talk about <laughs> related to wellness, we're happy to have you. So thank you for thank being here. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure, man. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you. All right. For everybody else that's listening, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. As we said before, please, uh, you know, hit the little notification icon so that you're notified when the latest episodes are out next week we are you guys know how much we love tiktok and we're bringing another uh tiktok creator on next week uh this is dr caitlin she is going to be talking about uh self-love and body positivity so very much looking forward to that episode and as always have a great week and we will see you next time bye